Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60 day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60 day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Welcome to the Millionaire Mindcast, where we broadcast weekly interviews with millionaire minds from across the globe to empower you on your journey of unlocking a rich and fulfilling life. It's time to unleash your millionaire within. Now, here's your host, Matty A. What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's show. What up? Wealth Building Wednesday coming at ya hot off the presses. Super hot. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I had a busy, uh, a busy week. I was gonna, I was gonna ask how you're feeling because I know the market's been a little bit of a roller coaster the last couple of weeks. You know, I, um, as I've been telling my clients and uh, everybody that's been asking me, you uh, welcome to the big boys and big girls separator, right? The, um, be, being invested through a down market is part of being an investor. And people are saying, oh, you know, how do we stop taking losses? You don't. <laughs> right. You, uh, you actually don't. You, you literally have to navigate the storm and take what the market gives you mm -hmm. until it's no longer... Like one of, my, uh, one of my good mentors and friends, he said, life is like a bully. Sometimes they're looking the other way. And when they're doing other things, that's when you do what you do. But sometimes the bully's focused on you and he's going to kick your ass and he's going to take your backpack. He's going to steal your lunch. And ultimately you can respond, but you can't really dictate what the bully's going to do to you. Yeah, 100%. And the, the biggest... The hardest thing, again, and this is why we always preach this, not to be emotional with your money, not to get over exuberant when you make returns and not to get overly um, uh, fearful or worried when the market uh, turns down. It, it goes back to why I always say it's not hard to make money in an up market because it's not. Yep. It's just really hard not to lose a lot of money. In a down market, when you're trying to be to be invested for growth, um, 
value stock, which I've been preaching on for the past about 10 months plus, is leading the pack as far as for losses. It's the, it's the best of the worst. Yeah, we'll have some updates for S&P Dow, NASDAQ here in a little bit on where the market is at year to date mm. in those. And also, we got some stats and data for you guys on crypto as well and how that compares to crypto. Because I know we got a, some of our crypto heads that you know, like to make the argument that it's a Nobody, much better yeah. vehicle and investment. All than... of those people have disappeared. Opinions, <laughs> we way. still get a few people that are still beating that horse. We got some updates on real estate and we'll be updating you guys with some, I think, important news that you want to make sure you're aware of as we head into this next week with what's going to be going on with interest rates what we're seeing with mortgage apps, inventory trends, mortgage delinquencies, foreclosures. Today is going to be kind of a state of the market because we got a lot of data to sift through here. But I want to back up real quick because you know we always like to talk a little bit of market and world news. Mm-hmm. First off, what are we seeing in how the war with Ukraine and Russia is playing out. Looks like it's still going relatively strong. I mean, I saw like 400 and something airstrikes overnight from Russia on a certain sector of, I forget what the city was, um, kind of on the quote unquote front lines, right, of, yeah. uh, of the war. Yeah, in- Mariupol and Donbass and all that. Yeah. Yeah, I've, from what I have seen and heard, uh, there's been like another big delivery of heavy munitions to Ukraine from... Uh, the United States and other NATO allies. Um, Any time that a country, especially a larger one, is pulling uh, back to an area where they are maybe can, you know, refuel, refortify. I've been seeing reports that the Ukrainian army is seeing increased usage of Soviet era uh, munitions and vehicles, they're, and they're tapping into the deep reserves. Yeah, they're like they're they're tapping into reserves, which is a negative sign for Russia. So I, I think there's a lot of propaganda on both sides, but a lot from Russia, and maybe more from Russia to say, "Hey, we're we're doing a lot better than we actually are." I don't think that um, I don't think that's kind of odd. I don't know if you remember at the beginning of the year when I had like mentioned that I you know I heard a rumor that Vladimir Putin might be like sick. Yeah. And now that's starting to like rear its head. Get some more legs. Yeah. He did an interview where he was like, I watched it. He's like, he's, you know, he's holding onto the table the whole time while he's sitting in a chair and he's slumped down a lot. Hmm. Um, So he doesn't look like he's, he looks like he's really tired. You know, if if I give him the benefit of the doubt for sure. It's like homie's been fighting a pretty big war. Yeah. Um, But this doesn't look like, like regular Putin. Uh, and there, another report that they're using a lot of what's called canned meat, which means um, pre-recorded videos that they say are live, hmm. um, which Russia is notorious for doing. So they'll pre-record a lot of stuff for incidents going on, just in case something happens, and then they'll act. They'll say to their citizens, "It's live," but intelligence. Uh, committees know that it is not. Yeah, because I'd seen something that they had just tested a big kind of ballistic missile that can carry a, a nuke warhead. Yeah. Um, and, and that was something that he came out this last week and basically said, you know, keep playing with fire and y'all will see what happens. Yeah, I... um, Because also th- the other scary thing is, hey, I 
it's one thing to lose, but people do some drastic shit when they're losing too. I agree. I also don't think that that's been discounted one bit by the U.S. military. And I've heard some some retired generals, you know, pretty much be like, yeah, I mean, like, they could definitely launch a missile. I'm just pretty sure we would shoot it down fairly quickly and would we would shoot it down over their airspace. I don't think that there's any nation in the world that has a military capability even close to the United States. We just spend way too much money on stuff and we have dark programs that we probably have technology we have no idea about that will definitely come out if that happened. I mean, the thing that I would just say is, you know, the news is more recently talking about, you know, unidentified flying aerials. Yeah. That probably is military tech, which is why they're talking about it. And maybe that, you know, Navy pilots don't know about it. But, you know, I would not be shocked if we do not have technology to that level with the amount of money that we spend, um, the amount of information that the military knows that they don't share. Uh, for good reason. So I'm not super worried about that. I think that that's not anything that I would want to do. But if I am I worried about a nuke hitting the United States? No, no. I would literally bet my life on that. It's It would never happen. We have too much defense systems that are too advanced that would not allow that to happen. And anybody that would do that would just be risking to just get themselves literally annihilated. Abolished. Yeah. Zelensky came out this last week saying that he was asking for $7 billion per month. I think this was to the IMF, um, somewhat directed at the U.S. as well, the World Bank, saying that um, Ukraine needs $7 billion per month for economic losses. Is there any validity to... I mean, we're already giving them you know, $800 million worth of... Oh, we've given them... Over a billion dollars. Yeah, well, that was the last, I think, allotment of here's some more money for, you know, weapons and military uses, economic losses, your citizens, da-da-da-da-da. Are are we going to continue to get deeper and deeper entrenched into this as it goes on? And are there any whispers, at least in the financial world, of how... Because I know you guys track this stuff critically in terms of how it trickles back into our economy and the market. Is there any end in sight or are we still continuing to... I mean, I know that's a hard question to answer, but curious yeah. what you guys are baking into the market. I haven't had too many discussions about that or read too many things on that from many parties that I deem serious. I know that that's a serious conversation that's happening. I just haven't hit it in my circles. The thing that always makes me worried about the United States getting financially involved in a conflict is that it never really turns out very good for us. Yeah. Um, if you look at our track record when yeah. we do that in other people's wars. Yeah. When we fight our own wars, we tend to do good. But like Afghanistan was another really, we were trying to, we didn't really. We were meddling. We, we were meddling around there. We didn't really Vietnam. go on full force. I mean, you, can, v- go, you yeah. can go back and. Anytime we support something financially, it ends up backfiring on us because people use the money and then they get what they want and then they do what they want after they get what they want. So that that is an issue. Now, I will say. I don't know I don't know how Ukraine would react. I mean, they're going to need even if they won the war, let's say they won the war tomorrow. Uh, they're going to, you know, it's going to be heavy f- amount of rebuild 50 plus years. Yeah. 
it'll be our lifetime before their country is rebuilt. Um, so that I, I don't know whose responsibility that is. I think to some degree, what would it would need to be? They would probably figure out a way to get the money out of Russia in ways of economic yeah. sanctions right. or fines, and then they would use that money to do that. Um, if they could figure out a way to get Putin out of Russia, he would be tried as a war criminal. So they would they would figure out ways. Putin could stroke the check for the whole company for the whole country, which is pretty crazy. Um, who ultimately so, wins from this war? I don't really think there is a, a winner. I think the ultimate winner is the world. Um, the, the war going away is really just what, what would really help stuff because it, it distracts from what's actually going on. Cause like, there's not really a ton wrong with our economy under the, on the technical side, minus inflation is something that we have to get figured out. But when you have that and then you have a war, if we didn't have the war, it wouldn't be really a terrible time right now. It's not that hard to, to manage with the quantitative easing and the tools that we have today, manage a hot economy. They can do that. Will it be as soft as a landing as we expect? Maybe, maybe not. But when you have that going on and then you have all the emotions and the, the day-to-days with a conflict, a geopolitical conflict, that's really hard to navigate. I don't really know how one could say, oh yeah, this is super easy to do and we know, we're going to invest today because we know what's going on tomorrow. Every single day, something happens that's new. So it's really hard as an investor to make decisions that are going to be long-term when you are so emotionally torn on the day-to-day stuff. That's what I have to constantly tell people is, hey, you are an investor, not a trader. And what happens over the next three weeks or three months or six months is irrelevant for the next five years. It doesn't really matter. Um, and that's really hard, again, as a retail investor to, to encapsulate and understand. But that's, the, again, the key. Everybody that invested in 2007 kept all their money in the market has a shitload of money today. Yep. And I, I don't mean like that lightly. I mean, their accounts have like fourfolded. You put $100,000 in in 2007, you got, you got probably a million plus dollars right now. And it was hard to lose 50% of it in 2008. Right. But you would have made it all back through 2009 to 2010. And then you would have been like, holy crap, I'm super glad that I did that. And when you're investing, it's supposed to be long-term. You're supposed to leave your money alone. Yeah. So... You have to get unemotional about the times you're investing in and emotional about what the strategy and the execution of the strategy unlocks for you over the longevity of your time playing the game. And that's where I think so many people really miss the boat. I love, I was watching, um, there's this Instagram page, I forget what it's called, but it's, it's basically just a bunch of clips of Warren Buffett talking. And uh, one of them was, Basically, exactly that in a nutshell of him saying, you know, when prices drop on toilet paper or chicken or, you know, things that you like, you you don't get upset about it. You probably go and buy more of it because you're getting it on discount. Mm -hmm. When it comes to stocks, people, when their shit drops or they see things dropping, they freak out, right? And oftentimes they stay away from it. And that's really the time you should be doubling down if you believe in. If you're, if you're playing short, then that's when you make mistakes because, oh, it's dropping, so I got to get out. Versus if you're playing long and you're saying, oh, well, this is just one tiny trough 
in a series over this longevity of the timeline of peaks and valleys, I'm just going to double down and buy more, right? How many investors do you really see do that at a high level? A lot of my clients do that. I do have a lot of clients that do that. But I have a... How many are doing it right now? A lot. Okay, good. Yeah, more than 75% of my clients. Love it. But um, I have a handful of people that they... We have the same conversations that I have with people every single time. And then we get to the point where we've already talked about, hey, you know, I'm modeling losses to everybody's plan, multiple. Uh, Hey, we're going through a loss. Oh, I know. How do we stop? We don't. We just have to go through it. And we we baked it in. Yeah, we have to. This is why it's important that we buy quality and we don't buy crap. This is why I tell people, and they, you know, you can see it with Netflix $600 on the night before, 656 or something like that. Yeah. Wake up in the morning, go to bed at 200 bucks. I'm literally, guys, that is a over 50% drop in like 28 hours. And people don't realize that that can happen to a stock. And, and that can happen to, to the names like Tesla and Twitter. And it can happen the opposite too. But you have to buy quality. And you can't get distracted and say, oh, hey, you know what? I missed on buying this. So I'm gonna, next time I see any sort of company that has any sort of talk about it, I'm just going to buy it because I don't want to have FOMO. I don't want to miss out. That is why there's retail investors and there's institutional investors. And why retail investors, 99.9% of the time, will get smoked by institutional investors because we don't make decisions based on emotions. We make decisions based on data. Do you have to make sure you have a good institutional investor? 100%. Um, I consider myself a good institutional investor. Am I, are my clients losing money? 100%. Nothing's making money. I was so going to say, who, what other... Goal. Gold is down. Uh, crude oil's crude down. Oil's today. down five percent. Uh, bond too. yields are going up, so bonds are down. You have you have to understand as, as in the stock market, you will lose money at some point over a six to twelve month, maybe even eighteen month period, and you have to stay invested during that whole time right. because companies will pay you dividends. Your portfolio should have the, you know, the rigidity to make it through that. And if you're taking withdrawals out of your portfolio, even more so, you have to make sure you have a portfolio that can withstand that. It's scary and nobody likes to go through a down market. I just have to tell my clients and encourage them, everything goes through this. And now we're not seeing a uh, downturn in real estate, but we're seeing a barrier to entry start to get very high, which mm-hmm. is going to make real estate not as accessible, which is almost going to take it off the table for a lot of people. When your cost of money gets high, if you're poor or poorer, you cannot get into that asset. That's an asset class that could potentially do very well. But it's it's even cooling, and it's cooling even a little quicker than me and Matt anticipated. Yeah, we got some we got some interesting stats for you guys today. We're trying to make sense of Ryan and I were thinking of you know what what do you call the times that we're in right now, and you know trying to make sense of all of this. We're like, 
I don't know. I got to marinate on that one for yeah, a second, it's, it's, right? Because the stock market is very interesting right now. It's not really a great place to be. Real estate's like, very interesting right now. I mean, real estate is probably the most logical place to be at the moment in terms of like on paper returns. But when we're talking about maybe greatest opportunity and upside, it's it's probably going to shift back over to the stock market because everything's on discount right now. And if you're bullish about the U.S. economy as a whole over the course of the next decade, you know your your best buying opportunity is probably going to be in the stock market. Your best store of value and you know upside in terms of stable growth is probably going to be in real estate. But a holistic balance between the two of those things, which is what Ryan and I consistently, you know, strategize and mastermind on and execute on with at least my portfolio and his portfolio, that's what we're doing, right? And then of course having your consistent, you know, um stream of disposable income going into your insurances, mm-hmm. all of those things working together do do what they're supposed to do, especially in times like right now. Correct. And again if you set up a portfolio in December and now you're going through right now, the best thing to do is buy. And it's it's almost like it's, oh, it's the, you know, the the telltale sign of every advisor saying that you have to buy. And I tell my clients, I don't tell you just to hold on and buy. I tell you that you have to be patient and hold on to what we have bought. Because what we have bought is good. And although it may not be good right now, it will be good in the future. We have the data to prove it. We don't just go out and close our eyes and buy stuff. Um, Right now, again, I'm mainly in healthcare, utilities, and tech. Why would I be in tech at all, considering what's happened this year and inflationary pieces going? Well, I'm thinking that if inflation gets high, it's going to be really hard. Here, let me go. Let me give you a dip into my world, guys. How my how Ryan Breedwell's mind thinks. Why would I have a position in technology and rising interest rates? Well, what's really expensive in rising interest rates? Labor and retention of labor is very expensive. Which what's, is you walk it around every fucking storefront and what it's what's in the window help wanted yeah people struggling to find good quality people what those people want a lot of money to get into those positions what's cheap though software yeah it's infinitely scalable software is cheap and you know that because you've built that into your hotels and so who provides software technology companies you have to think beyond what the media says to you, a bull market, bear market today, the market's down, tech getting hit. Sure, tech is getting hit, but there's areas to be in in technology that are going to be quality. I think Microsoft's up 1.6% today when the market's down one and a half. There's areas to be in in technology that makes sense. There's areas to be in that make sense. Are they all getting beat up? Yeah. But who's going to recover out of that, pay us good yield, and probably shield us from the least amount of downturn? Those areas. The one thing that you definitely don't try to do is go out of a yielding asset into cash and then play the I'm going to time the market. Right. Because if cash was paying a yield of 4 or 5%, we'd have a massive position in cash because that's a paper asset with little or no risk. You can't take losses in the cash position. Um, that's getting us a yield that maybe is offset by a minus 2% to inflation, but we'll accept that. You can't do that right, right now. now. If we got out of the market yesterday and then the market takes off by 2% today, we just missed out on 2% up on our portfolio and we could be getting paid a dividend based on that rise in 2%. I will take 
I'll take a 3% yield and a 20% loss versus a tenth of a percent yield and no loss. And then have all those equities averaging my position down in my portfolio. So that when the market recovers, not only do I make all my money back, I have and then some because I've been paid dividends. I kept my money fully invested. And if you miss, I think the statistics said that if you miss 10 of the biggest, the 10 biggest trading days in the past 20 years, your portfolio would be averaging somewhere around 3%. You literally have to stay fully invested to make money in the stock market. If you do not, you will lose your ass in the stock market. And it sucks to, to think of it that way. But you, you, people tend to... I haven't heard anybody break it down like that though. And that was, I, I want to make sure we don't gloss over that because even for, I don't consider myself, you know, at least in the stock market, a, an expert investor, but I'm sharp enough to, you know, get myself into some winning opportunities. And I haven't heard of somebody break it down in that perspective of why you should stay invested in a down and declining market. It averages right? Because a lot of people admit like logically, right? It's like, there's blood in these streets. Like I got, I got to get out of the carnage. No, that's... but 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 what you just explained, right, is something that most finding. I've never had a financial advisor really break it down that way. And guys, if you aren't having these conversations, I mean, this is why we we do the show first and foremost is so you know we can create a space for real savvy investors of all sorts in all different contexts and all different stages of their wealth building journey. To keep asking yourself these kinds of questions and having these kinds of conversations, because I know for me, I consistently grow into the conversations that I'm having. And when I think that I'm in a good spot or uh, you know my axe is sharp enough, that's when things start to get dull. It sits on the sideline. And when I want to go and take a chop at the tree, it ain't as effective. It's not as efficient. And that's why one of the reasons why I love one, just having you on the show as a co-host, but two, why you're my financial advisor is because every single day, good or bad market, you're sharpening that ax. And if you're not having these kind of conversations with your financial advisor or somebody in your financial counsel, then you really need to reconsider who it is that you have on your board of directors for your wealth building pillar. Because the, I mean, a point, you know, uh, a bit like big or small, these things matter over the course of your investing timeline. And if you're not having these types of frequent conversations, you know, with your financial counsel, that's why we suggest take advantage of the free financial x-ray. Ryan and his team will dig in. He jumps on calls with all of our amazing listeners that, you know, fit that criteria and want to jump on and go through your financial plan because... There's so many things that your plan is not finite. It can't be. Especially in times like right now, what we talked about two years ago has shifted and we've had to pivot and adapt in good ways, in hedging risk and downside ways, because that's what the market's given us right now. And if you're not doing those things for your own plan, I highly recommend text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555 to make sure you're having the right conversations. I agree. And the other thing that you have to remember is don't, a lot of people are asking me, you know, oh, hey, you know, are you, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. What? I don't have a crystal ball. I've said it before, I said it again. I don't have anything. I will be, uh, if I invest your money, we'll probably be losing too, but it's going to be, are we going to be 
investing and being smart with it? Are we going to be putting money into smart areas? It's not a bad time to invest. It's a bad time to be emotional. There's never really a bad time to invest. There's always a bad time to be very emotional. And the worst time to be emotional is in very high markets and in in choppy or low markets like we're in right now. You can't do that. You have to find a plan. You have to stick with your plan. And no matter what, you have to ignore the outside influences and ride through your plan and that will be successful. My account's down 42%. So if, if, if I'm in here and I'm jamming money into the market every month, a lot more than everybody listening to this. This uh, is that your your portfolio as a whole? Is that one vertical within your portfolio? That's uh, like ninety four percent of my savings. So I'm I'm not I'm not here preaching something that I'm not doing myself or I'm not going through myself. That's why I also and that's I've even showed to, list, that's, that's year to date though, right? That's year to date, right? Because yeah. and and what we'll do, guys, is we'll, we'll we'll revisit this at the end of next quarter and maybe at the end of the year. And based on what the market's doing, you know, we like to be transparent about what we're doing, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, I'll just say this: I've given Ryan a good chunk of money, and He's made me significantly multiples more of profits than he has of losses. And we're still, you and I have been talking about this. We're down this year. You know? Oh, yeah. We're down, but in the grand scheme of our timeline of what we're talking about and those stages and tiers of where we're going to get to, this part of the this will just be one little trough yeah. in the overall you know, peaks and valleys of a very increasing wealth building portfolio. Correct. And I, I, again, you can apply this to anything that's gone through some sort of uh, downturn, bear market, correction, whatever you want to call it. Stock market in 2008, housing market in 2007, 2008, um, even to a small degree, the crypto market multiple times. Mm-hmm. It even has little rallies. Yep. Um, it's the, the things that you make the most money in in the shortest period of time tend to have the highest volatility. I would say crypto beats the stock market because it's speculation. The stock market beats real estate because it's, it's ownership in companies that are, you know, you're essentially, it's a discounting mechanism. You're buying today, hoping that it gets higher in the future. So that's a discounting mechanism. And the only thing that does that is the quality of the company driving the stock. And then real estate, you own something and somebody needs a place to live and you just got to make sure it's a quality place to live and a quality asset and then you can charge them a quality fee to do so. Um, There's a lot of stuff going on, but there's always going to be downturns in everything. That's why you don't just have real estate or just have your insurance or just have stocks. You have everything so that you can complement stuff. So you can take money out of your... A asset that's doing good and put it into your C asset that's not doing good or take money out of your C asset that's doing very well and use it to leverage up and get more of your A asset. There's, that's the sympathy of a holistic plan versus having just, hey, I'm a one-trick pony and right now this pony ain't kicking, so I'm going to be negative and I'm going to try to, you know, I'm going to search and do what most retail investors do and just search for truth in a garden of, of, of hopelessness. There's yeah. nothing there for you to find. There's literally nothing for you to find. You just have to stick with a, a prudent plan in all investments. If you bought a piece of real estate and it's bad, let's say you bought a big commercial, $3 million commercial unit and you were going to sell it as condos 
and that doesn't work out. Now you got to sell it as apartments. You're probably going to take a massive loss on that. Are you going to be able to get out of your deal? Yeah. You're going to have learned to learn the lesson. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that you're going to lose everything. You just probably fucked up and didn't buy at the right time in the market. And guess what? You're going to do that with your stocks too. You're just going to have to make sure that you follow your plan of how to get through a bad real estate deal, of how to get through a negative uh, stock market, of how to make sure that when times get tight, I can pay my premiums on my insurance. There's always going to be something hard to do. And that's why not everybody does it. But if you can stick to it, Matt and I have a lot more stories of us getting through the stickiness than we can tell you um, on our hands. And that's why we're here today. One of my first mentors told me, he said, you go and look at any wealthy person that you admire. And the one thing that they all have in common is they have failed significantly and lost money at certain points of their journey to getting really wealthy and rich. Yep. And, you know, I think you guys have probably heard me say this on the podcast before is volatility is the price you pay for being successful. Volatility is the price you pay for getting wealthy. Like there is no smooth sailing to becoming extremely wealthy. You have to learn how to weather storms and get through the tornadoes and the chaos of whether it's in your business, whether it's in real estate, whether it's with stocks. It doesn't really matter. You have to be willing to have thick skin, be unemotionally driven, and follow the data when it comes to executing on your money. Yep. And that takes time too, right? Like all of the stuff that we talk about, it's taken time. I mean, I'm. 11 years into my professional, 12 years into my, you know, 33, I started investing in real estate when I was 21. So, you know, the first couple of years was just getting my ass kicked around and learning, right? And just being naive and, you know, just being dumb enough to be in the game. But, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so for the person that's just starting their journey, you're in the right place in terms of listening to the right conversations, right? And follow be humble enough to know that you don't know it all and follow the i don't i don't want to say every step but take collective conversations take collective strategies and also take consistent action and reflect very frequently on what's going on to help you make your next best decision but make sure that you're playing the long game and understand that this takes time and if you're somebody who's also very financially wealthy and far down the road, I know we got a lot of listeners that are worth five, 10. I mean, we've got some people north of 50, 100, 200 million that I've talked to that listen to this show. And I know that those individuals didn't get there by going, I know it all. Yeah. 100%. They're still listening to this show. They're listening to other podcasts because they want to know what other savvy investors and people are thinking and saying and doing. And they're putting every single one of those data points up on their board going, hmm, how does this fit into my picture? How does this fit into my plan? And one of the questions that um, I've been noticing trends lately over the course of the last couple of years of it being cool to be woke. And you know, I'm not going to get political about this, but I'll just say the underlying threads of wokeness oftentimes is very much so signaling and you know propagating and enforcing certain ideologies into acceptance and if you don't right then you're labeled x y or z 
And so we've seen this now become very propagated in many different aspects of culture. Now, as we've seen it being very pushed and propagated into culture, we're seeing companies now somewhat, I don't want to say forced, but it's now trickled into the culture of companies, which then dictates how they run, which then dictates how they, you know, market and sell and ultimately at the end of the day, profit, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you got big things going on with Twitter right now, which we've got Elon Musk, final offer, 43 billion in cash to Twitter. They said, screw you. But then now all of a sudden over the course of the last three to five days, it's like, well, maybe we should take it. There might be some whispers that they may be accepting that offer this week, potentially, correct? I heard they might be accepting it this week. And I don't know why they wouldn't. It's a great offer for them. It's uh, to, to bring somebody in like that, or well, not to bring somebody in like that. Let me just reiterate that. For somebody to come in like take that door in. and take over the company, but a quality individual like that, that is something that you want to be involved with. But one of the concerns, right, was this wokeness of censorship and X, Y, and Z, and now Musk coming in. Then you've got CNN, a very woke news station, mm -hmm. CNN Plus, after you know years of pushing how this is going to be their biggest thing ever, CNN one Plus month after launching. Yeah. $300 million going down the drain there, CNN Plus shutting down. You see big news of Netflix, right? And their stock completely tanking. You got Disney, who's gone very woke, which is really disappointing to me because one, my kids, too. I fucking love Disney, to be honest. Like yep. when I go to Disney, I'm still, like I'm still a fan. Like yeah. Disney is awesome. But they the become, it's yeah. become cool, right? That's what to the be, executives have done with the brand of right, Disney. Right. Yeah. Woke. And now this last week, they basically lost their special designation of kind of being their own government within Florida. Now they're going to be paying $200 million. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. So like all of these companies that are becoming very woke, 
it's almost starting the pendulum swinging back and people are going, nah, 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 nah. Like this wokeness, like I'm cool with being inclusive and, and kind and respectful, but you telling me that you can do X, Y, and Z to my kids or X, Y, and Z to this part of culture, you know, like people are starting, I think, to draw boundaries and lines. Are you guys factoring in the woke factor into some of your analysis of buying companies? No, not really. We um, Do you think, uh, and I'm just curious, this is kind of a random thought, but like, will this be something we look back on in time and say there was like this trend of, because I was watching the Abercrombie documentary this weekend mm-hmm. and there was a trend going on, you know, at let's say the late 90s to early 2000s of what was acceptable and cool and they capitalized on it. Yep. But then it became very cringy and uncool, right? And actually crushed the company's stock after a while when those things started coming out and new cultural norms didn't accept that. And I think, you know, what we're seeing is like this coolness of whether it's it being inclusive of LGBTQ or it's being okay with, you know, schools telling your kids what they can and can't do and that being woke, right? And so will we see this woke factor be something that you know, in the history books, we look back on and say, hey, that was, you know, a short period of time. And here's what it was for a little bit, but then it became uncool and the pendulum swung back. I'm just curious on your thoughts on that. We kind of, the only thing that we have to a degree that would even <laughs> represent that would be like ESG investing, which is conscious and environmentally conscious companies that have a commitment okay. to the, you know, global climate change or non-racism, you know, stuff that, that goes under that. So ESG ratings are starting to be uh, something that is on the forefront. And I think that... So they are somewhat like there is a variable now that they're starting to kind of bucket some of those things into. That's been around though for a long time. It just wasn't popular. Okay. It was kind of like, you know, there's there's been companies that say, hey, we specialize in doing, you know, we focus on investing in this, but we don't uh, buy tobacco companies or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't buy companies that produce munitions. Right, like we're, we're down with this. We steer clear of that. Correct. So now there's, there's this, especially with what's it's been accelerated in the past few years, um, companies that say, hey, what's your ESG commitment level? And they're rated with like five little like globes. They look like the Captain Planet globes. Okay. Um, and so they'll have an ESG rating of like three out of five or four out of five. And it says, what's their carbon footprint? What's their fossil fuel involvement? All that kind of stuff. It's mainly environmentally fo- uh, focused right now. I don't know if there's a way to measure the metric on wokeness or, I'm, or I'm whatever just, that I, is. You get what I'm saying though? Like, yeah. Because it has become so mainstream and such a cultural narrative in many facets of you know, life now, and people are literally making consumer-based decisions or not on brands because of either alignment or misalignment with their wokeness or non-wokeness or whatever it may be, right? Cancel them or buy from them or whatever. We've seen this become like more and more of a very popular mainstream narrative and deciding how people are spending and exchanging dollars and value, right? So. Yep. I'm just curious if that's something that we'll ever see become some intrinsic investment, you know, value that, you know, the institutional level investors actually start to factor into good or bad, safe, unsafe type of investments. I think that 
anytime there's a trend in the market that advisors and people will try to take advantage of it to try to make money, I don't, I don't see that being something that serious investors would factor in. Um, I just don't. I don't. People, it's hard to quantify too. People that have money aren't woke. So Very sorry true. to break it to y'all, but that's, that's the main reason why um, they don't care very much about poor people in the sense of their money because poor people don't care about their money very much most of the time. Already as it is. So that's in a non-abrasive way. That's probably why that, that will never be factored in. So let's make some sense of what's going on in the market this year. Yeah. We've got S&P, Dow, and NASDAQ as our main... Their main three... They're the three major indices. And Dow those, tracks our big... Kind of our value players. The NASDAQ tracks our tech. And the S&P is kind of the market as a whole. Okay. And so we've got... The S&P is at least year to date down 10%. Mm-hmm. Dow is down 7.5%. And the NASDAQ is down 17.9%. Yes, sir. You mentioned you're going off to Hawaii this next week. And you're like, I'm going to enjoy myself because when I come back, it could be pretty nasty. What did you mean by that? I just... um, The market is uh, not... People are not trading on the technicals of the market, which is, again nobody's fault besides a lot of investors in the market or retail. And that's unfortunate because eventually the people that are trading on the technicals of the market like us will make a lot of money. Um, The thing that drives the stock market after the dust settles, which the dust right now is going to be inflation news and the conflict with Russia and Ukraine is earnings. It's, there's no other reason to buy a company if unless it makes money so that it can grow so that a stock price goes up. Yep. That's the metrics of a, of a stock. Um, earnings have been predominantly positive in the 80, close to almost 80% of the companies that have reported have reported earnings beat by approximately 8 to 10% better than what they expected. Because last week we had basically all the earnings reports, a couple hundred companies, right? No. Not, not all, but... No, we, that's this but, week. Okay, that's this week. Yeah, yeah. The, actually, the biggest, it's the biggest week right now. There's, okay. It's, the, it's uh, almost half of the S&P is reporting. So um, that's a big deal. And the problem is the market for the past two weeks is not done. Week one, I wasn't very surprised. It was bank and, and uh, airlines and airlines did well and banks did okay. Last week, we had some decent earnings that came out, some good prospects. And early in the week, that showed itself. And then we had another decline throughout the end of the week. Um, fast forward to today, Tuesday is when we start our main kind of tranche of earnings. You know, I think it's like Microsoft, Amazon, big names like that, that are really market cap weighted right now to those indices. And if those do well, it should pull the market up and it should add some positive sentiment. If those don't do well, which I don't think they are not going to do well. I think all of them are going to report the same and the market doesn't go up. Then you have to scratch your head and say, why is the market going down? It doesn't make it it doesn't make technical sense. And I think that what's gonna happen is in small, you're gonna start seeing institutionals and hedge funds start nibbling off at stuff like, hey, I'll take a little piece of this, a little piece of this, a little piece of this, because they want to keep the market kind of flat so right. they can buy while it's low 
and trick retail investors into thinking it's a bad time for to be in the market. And then what'll happen? The market will rebound like it did in 2009. Hedge funds and institutions will make a shitload of money. And then headline news will be like, oh, look at all these people that made a lot of money off the backs of the poor. And the only reason they made the money was because they were prudent and didn't get emotional with their money and they invested it. And that's the story that the media will continuously spin. Right. Institutional bad, they got, rich They bad, got rich, rich because bad, rich they bad. did things that were bad. Yep. And what they do is they say, no, these companies have great balance sheets. There's no reason you shouldn't be buying them. But if you don't want to buy them and you want to keep selling them, we'll buy them in small pieces so that you keep thinking that it's bad until it's so obvious that it's not. You jump back in. And by that time, We'd already, we've already been buying for a long time. And so who's going to really make the majority of the money? We will. Because we didn't make an emotional decision with our money. And, and until people connect those dots, that's why there will always be a designation of a retail investor and an institutional investor. My clients are on an institutional platform with an institutional investment advisor. That's me. We trade as an institutional investment advisor. We are not a retail, retail firm, retail IA, retail BD. We're not that. We're an institutional investment advisor. That gives us a huge advantage. Um, with all of that being said, we work with retail investors. <laughs> so they have a lot of retail thoughts that we have to make sure that they understand. Yeah, well, I had to tell uh, one of my clients the other day, who's the advisor, you or me? I'm pretty sure that I'm the advisor and I'm not going to do anything different. They ain't coming to you to tell you what to do, no. right? No. No, I am not. I don't have the accolades that I have. I don't have the tenure that I have. And I don't have the um, history with our firm and, and making our clients money for making the easy decisions. That's not what I get paid to do. I get paid and, it's, and I'm kept around because it's hard to make the hard decisions. And it's hard to make them in times like this. And I got people texting and calling me and they have questions. And guess what? I'm going to have to answer it. And I'm going to have to put the same record on over and over and over and over. One I've already played for them. But you have to be prudent. Because and half this is when I turn in from a you know, financial advisor into half a psychologist as Dr. well. Dr. Phil, Dr. Ryan. Dr. Breedwell. <laughs> Dr. Breedwell. Well, you know, as we continue to see what's going to play out with the market, yeah. shifting over to crypto, you know, if we want to look at some data... If you're looking at crypto, we'll just we'll just keep it to Bitcoin and Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Year to date, Bitcoin's down 18%. Year to date, Ethereum is down 24%. Yep. Year over year, just to give you guys some perspective, year over year, Bitcoin is down 21%. Ethereum mm -hmm. is up 23%. Yep. So something to pay attention to there. But at the end of the day, when you look at Many of our Bitcoin bulls and our, our crypto bulls, you know, if you're looking at one, and this is a very speculative market and investment vehicle versus purely speculative S&P, Dow, NASDAQ, mm -hmm. all being down less than the crypto market and paying yield and paying yield right? without having to stake without having to stake. Excuse me. I was yawning. So. Very interesting to kind of keep that, you know, of course, don't get me wrong. If you guys want to keep throwing, you know, small percentages of your disposable income or your net worth, that's something speculative, right? And just knowing 
that it is speculative, then that's fine. But playing the long-term game, obviously, you're going to have a much better upside and a much safer investment in things like the stock market or real estate. Shifting over to real estate, you know, of course, we know the Fed has been talking about this. And it's about that time for hike number two. It's happening next week. Yeah, It's going to happen next week. What are your predictions on how high they're going to go? It's going to be at a minimum 35 basis points. I was going to say 25, right? Was at least like bare threshold minimum, if not I think, more. I think 35 basis points. Because last time I said it was going to be a quarter to 35. And now I think it'll be a 35 to a half. And... um I would think more so it's going to be a half a percent. I don't, I just don't think we can, it's going to have to be, the Fed normally has to do one thing at a time. They raise interest rates or they, and then they, that, that does something else. So they do like a, you know, a, a, a lever system. Oh, this lever was triggered. So I'll push it down. And yep. it'll, it'll, they have to do kind of two things at once. They have to raise interest rates, but do it in a fashion. And, while raising interest rates, bleed off their balance sheet. And those are conflicting items. They have to do it in a manner that's going to make the, or, or make the economy happy. I don't know if they can do it. It ain't going to make the economy happy. I will tell you that the only person that I know that can do it would probably be Jerome Powell. Because he got he's gotten through something we've never done before either, which is the pandemic. So here's the one thing I'm going to say. It's you're an idiot to bet against the Fed, even if they were wrong about inflation being transitory. Everybody has a right to be wrong. You guys are a bunch of motherfuckers if you're acting like you're right all the time anyway. <laughs> Second, if you bet against the Fed, and I don't know why you would, you're essentially betting that they're going to raise interest rates to the roof to cool a hot economy and put us into a recession on purpose. And I don't know why they would do that. I don't know why they would do that. Um, I think Europe has a much higher recessionary uh, indications than we do. I think what they're going to do is they're going to raise interest rates and they're going to keep doing it and they're going to do it at the pace that they said they're going to do it. And I don't know if they'll be at two and a half percent by the end of the year, like that one Fed chairwoman said. Yeah, but she, I do believe they'll be at near two percent, and that's healthy for the economy. People never finish the story. They're going to raise interest rates. Well, yeah, then banks are going to make a shitload more money and they're going to pay their employees and those people are going to spend that money and those banks are going to invest that money. You think banks are going to sit on their money while they're losing out? To no, they're going to invest it. You the media never finishes the story for you guys. Yeah, inflation is high. Well, great. What about all the, what about all the investment hedge funds and people in those hedge funds that bought real estate like in Blackstone? What do you think Blackstone's going to do with those profits? Are they going to sit on them? No, they're going to redeploy them because they're Blackstone. So there's just a lot of never finishing the narrative that there's always a bull market somewhere. There's always money to be made somewhere because somebody's losing money. That means there's always somewhere to be making money. You just got to find it. Well, to cap out where we see the real estate mar market going, I think uh, the best thing to do is to always at least look at current and trailing data to give you an idea of how those two things connect and correlate. The Fed earlier this year did what? They raised interest rates. And now, as we see, we always say, you know, do something today. Let's at least, 
in the context of the real estate market. Do something today and watch it play out for the next three to six months. That's usually how we see things. It takes time, right? Like what you said, stock market is we do X, Y, and Z, and it can reflect what the decision uh, or action you know, did in a much smaller window, shorter time frame. Yeah, for the name. Right? It responds much quicker. Yeah, we have a, we, and that's the shitty part. It's the downside response quick and the upside is a long. Yep. Versus real estate, it takes a little bit more time for those things to get baked into the consumer who then takes the action or inaction. And then the market, real estate, responds according to those things. Obviously, we saw rates go up. And we started to see certain things take place, which was inventory started to creep up a little bit in certain markets. We started to see the days on market creep up. We started to see mortgage applications start to slow. We saw refinance, um, you know, uh, refinance starts begin to slow. So we're starting to see some of the impacts of money getting a little bit more expensive. Yep. We're starting to see supply increase a little bit. We're starting to see demand, not by choice, but demand start to get curbed a little bit because people that were once able to buy in a certain price point or to afford a certain amount of home now can't necessarily do that, right? So there's some retooling that's going on there. Mortgage apps, however, we saw increase over this last week, 1.8%. However, that was a two-week decline. We saw inventory go up 1.7% week over week, and that is up 14.2% from the seasonal low. We saw mortgage delinquencies hit record lows in March, which is a great thing, but we started to see foreclosures increasing following the end of the foreclosure moratorium. So as we start to see, you know, what's going to happen with this next interest rate hike, I think we're going to probably see those same trends continue in that direction, which ultimately I don't think is going to lead to any kinds of crashes or anything catastrophic, but there will be some cooling and it could be the pendulum of it being a hot blazing seller's market starts to shift more towards the middle where it becomes this healthy balance between buyers and sellers, less buyers going after le- you know le- more buyers going after less homes, that's going to start to even out a little bit, which I think will start to show that we'll see prices start to cool off a little bit, especially if we go into a recession mm-hmm. or we go into the war gets crazier and inflation keeps going in the direction and money gets more expensive. Well, we're going to have less money flying around yeah. to certain asset classes, which of course is going to, you know, even the playing field a little bit. That at the end of the day is just, again, opportunity for the savvy investor to look at what the market is giving you based on your plan, based on your goals, based on when you want to achieve those things by to retool a little bit and figure out how do you continue to take the next right step based on what the board game is giving you. And the strategy you as your investor need to imply, uh, apply to that particular board game to win. So those are going to be the things that I'm paying attention to. Of course, this rate hike is going to be very interesting. 
you know, to see how that impacts mortgages and how that impacts, you know, consumers and the buyers and the overall market as a whole. And I think if anything, it's going to be something that if you are someone who has your financial house in order, this is an exciting time for you to be completely honest, right? Like, I don't know any savvy, smart, crazy, successful investor that's like, oh, I love when the market is, you know, unless you're owning the asset. But when you're trying to acquire, you know, you, you don't want to be competing with 50 other people to buy one asset. You want to be competing with one or two other people and giving yourself the best chance. And that's what we're going to be heading into in those types of times. And so it's buying right, operating right, all the same stuff we've been talking about this entire time. Um, but if you can't buy the asset properly and you can't get the necessary means to you know, capitalize on closing on the asset, which is right having your financial you know, team in place, whether it's a bank, whether it's learning creative investment strategies, you know, those are gonna, these are going to be the times that the right investors with those relationships and those skill sets are going to absolutely crush. I agree. And so that's what I believe we're heading into. But of course, you know, we'll continue to um, keep track of all this. And again, if you're you know, in real estate, just by owning assets, you know, you don't even need to be the best operator, but just by being in hard assets in times like we're probably going to see for you know, the, the next five to 10 years, you're going to win. Agreed. You're going to win. So with that being said, guys, if you have any questions for us, shoot us a text at 844-447-1555. If you haven't taken advantage of the free financial x-ray from Ryan and his team, just text, text the word text. x-ray to that same number. If you're an accredited investor, want to get on my deals list, and want to know more about syndication opportunities, the hotels, the distillery, other multifamily assets, text the word DEALS to 844-447-1555. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, share it with a friend or family member. We love connecting with you guys. We love all the support that we get from our amazing community. And with that being said, uh, don't forget to leave us a five-star review in whatever podcasting platform you enjoy listening to this content on. Until next week's episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a million and beyond. We'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Wealth Building Wednesday. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. If you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you either leave a review on whatever podcasting platform you enjoy listening to this content on or share this with somebody that you know can gain some insight, some value from it. One of the things that you guys know about Ryan and I is you know, we definitely won't say we have all the answers and we definitely won't say we know it all. We just want to bring conversation to the areas, the topics that we believe are really important to bring attention and awareness to, to help you sharpen your ax, put more tools on your tool belt, weaponize you to make the best decisions that align not only with your financial goals, right, but your lifestyle goals. So if you guys want to take advantage of Ryan's free financial x-ray on your investment portfolio, all you have to do is text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. Most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective or really in most cases overcharged and whether or not their current investment plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish and by when. And this is something Ryan does for all of our listeners for free. So be sure to take them up on that X-ray, one word to 844-447-1555. Also, if you are someone who is serious about building your wealth and you're already kind of established, but you want to surround yourself with other like-minded, high net worth individuals 
Be sure to text WEALTHCAMP, one word, to 844-447-1555 to learn more about our intimate five-star experiences with other like-minded business owners and investors to cross-pollinate, to hear what they're doing, and to have a whole, a whole hell of a lot of fun while we're doing it. And last, if you want to know more about consulting or getting mentorship directly from me or from Ryan, you can learn more by texting the word MENTOR to 844-447-1555. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friends.